0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of The War on Cars. I'm Sarah Goodyear. In case you didn't get enough of Ray Maliazzi's beautiful Boston accent in our Car Talk episode from March 2019, here's an extended cut of the talk he and my co-host Doug Gordon had at the WBUR studio in February. Thanks to Catherine Fenolosa and everyone else at the station for helping us with this one. And now, without further ado, here's more of the War on Cars meets Car Talk. So I moved to New York from the Boston area in nineteen ninety-eight and car talk was on the air then and, mm-hmm. and ran uh, you know for an hour on Saturday and it was it was great because I would yeah, you know, be putting around my apartment or whatever, just cleaning up or doing work around the around the house. I turned you guys on and it was like being home for an hour. It was yeah, yeah. it was great. I mean, just hearing your voices was comforting because you don't hear that in New York. You hear a lot of, you know, D's and D's and in New York, but you don't hear that good Boston accent. So it's just it's it's nice to meet you, in the flesh, and thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. And
1: we used to get those kinds of comments from people who had who had been uh, uh, what do you what do you call it uh, sent to Alaska or places like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, designated. Yeah. And they'd say, oh my god, I love hearing the Boston accent. You know, they'd be in exile.
0: In exile, <laughs> right? Yeah. But so you know, it's Red Sox Nation. We're everywhere. So exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I guess where I wanted to get started was. You know, so car talks obviously it's about people's cars. But in 1992, you guys win the Peabody Award, and I was reading. <laughs> They've
1: been regretting that ever oh, yeah, since. Exactly.
0: <laughs> the <laughs> so they they said that the real core of your program was what it told us about human mechanics, and what I really liked—not human mechanics mm-hmm. as opposed to robot mechanics, but the, you know, the human mind. And what I always loved about your show, and everybody loves about your show, is that you know. A lot of episodes would evolve, or I guess devolve, as you might say, (laughs) um, into couples therapy, right? Right, oh yeah. uh, So you'd take a lot of calls that would require you to mediate between a husband and a wife, or a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and I was listening over the weekend to a couple episodes, and I was struck by the number of times that a woman would call in and say, here's my car, it's making this weird sound, I know what's wrong with it, or I think I know what's wrong with it, it's this thing, it's the fan belt, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. My husband, or my boyfriend, Tells me I'm wrong. He says it's this other thing, and they would call in to you guys. And I mean, it seemed like nine times out of ten the woman was right. And we always sided with the woman. We yeah. figured there was there was a
1: good percentage of, of times that it would it would benefit us. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you can't go wrong.
0: So I guess here's the question we have, because in the war on cars, we tend to approach it from this idea that like cars have just taken over cities, right? That they're they're not inherently a bad thing, and they have lots of convenient purposes mm-hmm. but that the overuse of cars is kind of detrimental to urban spaces especially sure. cities like do we love our cars or do we hate our cars or is it a little bit of both can you explain that relationship we have with driving oh i, th- I think people who live in new york uh,
1: probably hate their cars for the most part because if you ever move it out of your spot you're done for right unless you can afford the luxury of a parking space which i guess is pretty expensive yeah and, and people who live you know so my brother hated cars uh, and it was kind of odd that we did the show together for so many years but he hated the idea of cars consuming our lives our money uh clogging up the streets polluting the air all, all the things that you hate too right and and, and yet he and for years and years I tried to convince him that if he didn't live in Cambridge and wasn't able to get around with public transportation or by walking, He'd have to have a car that was reliable. Right. So he, he he forced himself to have a car because he felt it would give him some kind of authority. You know, if he had a car, but he had a jalopy, like a '63 Dodge Dart. And right. Then he, then he had a '74. He went up a year. Went from '63. <laughs> went up a year in a decade. Went to a '74 uh, 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 Chev- Chevrolet Caprice convertible. Yeah. All of his cars were jalopies, and none of them would have made it to the state line i mean they were it was a risk whenever he drove it but he was convinced that that's as good a car as anyone ever needed and he couldn't understand that you know there are people that drive like 100 miles a day to get to work right you know so so he uh he had a hard time you know just accepting that but he he was against cars because of all the the things they do to our lives and to our world
0: and i agree i agree on all of those points yeah you know o- on that on that note. So, I, re- I vividly remember listening to the show, and in the early 2000s, you guys launched the Live Larger, Drive Smaller campaign, the anti oh, SUV, yes, SUV campaign. So, you were kind of swimming against the tide with that one because SUVs are getting more popular, and here are two guys. Who, I know. It was, I mean, <laughs> it was, I, re- I remember the bumper stickers, I remember the, all the campaigns about it. <laughs> um, and so, here are these two guys. Who are talking about cars? Who, way a- way ahead of our time. Absolutely ahead of your time. I, know. I mean, amazing. So you recognize a lot of the absurdities of SUVs and, and SUV ownership before anybody. What what was it about them? What was that spark that caused you guys to say, "Hey, wait a minute, there, there's something a little off with these cars." You well, know, and to be fair, I'm sure my brother was the one who started this campaign. And yeah. What bothered him
1: was that as these things got bigger and bigger and and and, and you know more visible. You were threatened by them because you were just overwhelmed with their enormity, and the fact that you were now very vulnerable if you were driving anything but one of them. And I remember one day I was test driving a uh, uh, a Mazda Miata, uh, and you know it's kind of a nice little car. And, yeah. You know, it's probably just about as much as anyone would ever need, it, even though it was only a two-seater. And I was driving on Route 93 here outside of Boston. And I was passed simultaneously by two semis, one on the left and one on the right. And I felt like I was in I was in some kind of I was in some kind of tunnel of death. Yeah, you know. And if anything went wrong, Miata sandwich,
0: You're Miata done. death, yeah.
1: death by Miata, death by whatever it was. Yeah, I was gonna die. And and I kind of froze for a minute. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to speed up, slow down, <laughs> close my eyes. And I think that, that that people who drive reasonably sized cars probably have an occasion every week to feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to die because I'm driving something sensible like a Toyota Prius, mm-hmm. you know, which in the city gets like 50 miles to the gallon. Uh, and then more and more people you see are driving big cars. And you have to ask the question, why? Why are people driving more SUVs today than ever before? And I think
0: like two-thirds of vehicle sales like SUVs yeah I think by I read something that by next year it's going to be something like sixty percent of all sales will be SUVs yeah and, and Ford That's yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> I'm not a mathet- I'm not a mathematician I didn't go to MIT um, <laughs> but uh, yeah and and I think Ford and Fiat Chrysler are pretty much abandoning small cars and, and sedans they're almost focusing entirely on big SUVs um, i there's one car that I the Honda pilot 2019 Honda pilot I was mm-hmm. just reading about. The car is so big that it actually has an intercom system so that if you're a parent driving and your kid's in the third row... This is your captain speaking. Basically, yeah. Or, you know, get, to, get your hands <laughs> off your brother. That's what it is, basically. Hey, hey come on. You know, stay on your side. It's so big that you need an intercom system. Yeah,
1: and yet there are bigger vehicles than that. I mean, the Cadillac Escalade is right. bigger than that. The Lincoln Navigator is bigger and heavier.
0: You guys wrote a letter in, I think, 2007 to Congress... They were doing debating cafe standards, uh-huh. fuel efficiency standards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was actually kind of amazed by how radical it was and how similar it is to a lot of the language I use as a safe streets advocate. So, you guys wrote in 1964, the most powerful over the top Mustang muscle car you could buy came with an optional four barrel, 271 horsepower engine. Today, that's what comes standard on the highest rated minivans 275 horsepower. To take your kid to nursery school? What does this say about our national priorities? Do we really want to send our kids to fight and die in the desert so that we can go zero to sixty in eight seconds instead of ten? Mm-hmm. And I, I read oh, that it was,
1: it was profound. It was
0: prof- it? I, I was I had to stop what I was it, doing. It, 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 how much of an impact did that? Have? I, I had to stop what I was doing, <laughs> get, leave the bathroom, and no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm trying to do my best here, you know, keep up with your humor. I don't know if I can. But, I mean, like I was saying, that's literally the language that we as Safe Streets advocates use. Like, with the proliferation of SUVs, especially in cities, you're like, who needs to burn 19, you know, to get 19 uh, miles to the gallon? You know, burning a gallon of gas Mm -hmm. to go buy a gallon of milk. Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense. Um, and, And I find that in the Safe Streets world, we... Often we'll try to, you know, you, you throw in a bike lane here or, you know, maybe widen the sidewalk there to slow drivers down. And it's as if the world is going to end. Drivers think the world is going to end. It's going to take me 10 more seconds to get to work. Well, I have a theory about some yeah. of the, some of the yeah. new,
1: new created bike lanes and And I wanted lanes. to
0: ask you about that. Yeah, oh, go I ahead. I think
1: they infuriate drivers. Drivers yeah. feel they have some kind of special rights to the road. Yes. And, and when something is done in my own town you know, they've taken away a lane from Mass avenue so to accommodate the you know bicycle riders, which is great because we have a lot of bikers yeah uh, but the, the drivers are incensed just as drivers are incensed when 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 pedestrians cross like in the crosswalk well, why can't they wait till I've gone by well they don't have to they have the right of way yeah and those same people when they're pedestrians they say, oh, they have to stop for me, but I don't have to stop for them when I'm driving you right know? so there is there is some kind of a double standard that gets applied, you know. And when I'm riding my bike, I'm happy to ride in the bike lane, and I'm not one of those people that gets infuriated uh, with the bicyclists on the on the road. On the other hand, I don't have to be anyplace, you know. But if you, if you're late for work and traffic is backed up because you've lost a lane, that's that's troubling. That's yeah. a problem.
0: I mean, I also find that one of the things too is that even if traffic isn't backed up because you've lost the lane, like you know, it's, in New York we sometimes joke like. There was never traffic in New York City before they installed bike lanes on 8th <laughs> Avenue. Um, that it gives you something convenient to blame it on. I mean, part of the reason there's traffic is because there's too many cars. And, Duh. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, it's a convenient thing for people to blame their misfortune on. Because when you're in a car, you're you're trapped. You know, you're you're at the mercy of... That guy who's backing into a parking space, or mm-hmm. that truck driver who tried to beat the light and is now stuck in the intersection. Is there something about driving? I find when I drive, and I like driving, but it's like I can. My wife can set the clock to how soon it is before I'm like, "Well, you look at this jerk, you know, <laughs> like that like, guy on a bike. What an idiot he is!" Um, is there something about driving that that kind of does that to our blood pressure? Like, what what do you, what do you think accounts for that? Yeah,
1: no, I think every driver thinks that he or she is the best driver there is. Yeah. You know, so when you see somebody doing something that they shouldn't, I'll tell you what infuriates me, uh, it, and it's it, it's uh, punishable in New York City, uh, blocking the box. Yes, And it's punishable, I think, probably every place, including here in Massachusetts. I've never seen anyone receive a citation for it, but that drives me nuts. It's like, are you that out of it, that you can't see that you are blocking me when my light turns green? I can't go because you went through the light. And yeah. you shouldn't have, and that drives me crazy. So, so people do driving can be infuriating. Uh, all the years that I commuted to work uh, from Arlington to Cambridge, which is not a very long ride, it took me forever to get there because of traffic. But I was never in a hurry to get home because it was the day was done. There were no irate customers waiting at the door that I hadn't opened on time. So it was it was okay. But but I think most people just don't give themselves enough time because they want to spend five more minutes at home. Right. You know, if you gave yourself more time. So I would tell my guys, of course, well, don't leave your house at 7. Leave at 5.30. You'll be here time.
0: So don't spend time with your family. No, <laughs> no, no. Just get out. Just sneak out. You know? Exactly. Under the cover of darkness before the sun has risen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's... Don't drive your kids to school. Don't do that. Who needs that? Boston is a hotbed of, you know, people, columnists writing stuff about these, Damn cyclists taking over our roads. I read those op eds all the time from The Globe or whatever. How do you feel about that? Well, stuff? I,
1: I cycle as well. Yeah. And not as much as I used to, but I do cycle a fair amount. And yeah. and I try to I try to obey all the rules of Same. the road. And when I come to an intersection, it's pretty obvious that there's nobody, you know, that I'm gonna impede. I, I will look I'll look for law enforcement first of all. Then
0: <laughs> and then I'll yeah. look for the other
1: cars and then I'll often go through. But if I come – I don't – but there are lots of cyclists who never, ever, ever stop for a red light right. because, you know, they got the moral high ground. I'm riding a bike.
0: Yeah, there I'm are not, those people. I'm not polluting. It, it's funny because I think in these in these debates that we have about the law and cycling is that it's hard then for people to distinguish between what you're talking about because I do the same thing. If I get to an empty intersection, look around. Is there something – is there a cop car or something? <laughs> that, something that looks like it could be a cop car <laughs> waiting to pounce? Um, if there's no pedestrian, there's no traffic coming, I'll go. But, you know, midtown Manhattan, I would that never happens. I would never go through a red light in midtown because you're gonna knock somebody over or, or get yourself killed. Oh, yeah, 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 um, but I think it's hard for people to distinguish between those two scenarios. It's just all gets lumped into one massive group of cyclists. They're all bad. They all think they have the moral high ground, all that. yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. yeah,
1: and, and and it's it's obviously true to some extent. Yeah. But uh, you know, because I ride my bike a fair amount, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of bicy- bicyclists being out there. I, uh, I, I will add that I, f- for years and years, I, I would drive through Central Square in Cambridge to mm-hmm. get to my shop. And it wasn't until I rode my bike there that I realized there was a bike lane. I had always driven in it <laughs> as a motorist. Right, And I said, oh, there's a bike lane here. Isn't that nice? And I said, oh, my God, I've been riding in this bike lane illegally. Because nobody ever stopped me, right? Or nobody ever said that I couldn't do it, and and I I gotta say, I think the police are probably on the side of the motorists. Yes.
0: Well, in New York, most uh, cops live outside the city, or if they live in the city, they're living in the more car-centric parts of the five boroughs. It's you know They're living in oh, Staten yeah. Island. They're not living in Brownstone, Brooklyn or Midtown Manhattan or the Upper West Side. Can't afford it. Right. I mean, <laughs> that, And that's a huge issue in New York. And so they have this windshield perspective and they see bike lanes, if they see them at all, as, as parking spots. You oh, know. yeah. Right. So it says something about the design of the bike lanes that you as a driver couldn't actually see that it was a bike lane. So... Well, so New York has now moved a lot of its bike lanes to the curb. Right. Yeah. Is that working out? I think where it's probably not working out is that it's it's still not a complete network. you know. So right. like imagine if you had your car and uh, you got off 93 and then the exit ramp just ended, like at a brick wall. That's essentially- Oh, we have that for bike lanes, around. right? Yeah,
1: bike lanes just end. Yeah. You know, you're riding along in the bike lane. It's like, oh, sorry, and now you have to merge with the traffic. Oh, where did the bike lane go? Well, it's just not practical to have one in some spots. Right, right. You know, So it begs the question, why should they have it leading up to it? Right. You know,
0: they should immerse you in the danger right away. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have, like, a training for you. Yeah. I mean, and then that that's the other thing, too, is then, then it feeds this stereotype of, like, well, these bike lanes are only for these, like, fit, macho, young guys or, you know, people in their 20s. It's like, yeah, because anybody else goes out there. You know, my nine-year-old daughter goes out there. She'd get killed. And, oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not meant for the amateurs. In fact, when I'm in the bike, I'm not I'm not a fast. I, I hardly right. ever go over 20 miles an hour. But if if even that.
0: If you go over 20 miles an hour, I don't want to t- try you in a race. You'd, you'd kick my butt. No, no, that's downhill. <laughs> that's down downhill. Downhill. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, but, but you're probably averaging 10 miles an hour. Right. in the bike lane. And the truth is that there are guys that will whiz by you and, and yell at you for going too slow. Yeah. Guys in the bike lanes.
0: Uh, I mean, I I get that sometimes on my big... thing. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm 40, I'm turning 45, and I still get the, like, hey, come on, go faster, dude. (laughs) I guess somebody just said, go faster, old man. I'm like, what? Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? It hurt a little bit. I know, I know. It hurt a little bit. Um, (laughs) It happens to the best of us. (laughs) You grew up in the Boston area. You grew up in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an interview you did, uh, something you wrote, where you talked about, like, going outside, playing with your friends... Playing, you know, playing ball on the street, mm-hmm. just having this, this kind of cadre of kids that you could draw from and play at any time—is that childhood possible in a city today?
1: No, probably not. You know, I mean, I don't know what percentage of the vehicles registered in New York City are SUVs, but I bet you it's, uh, it's surprisingly high. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that SUVs afford you is this sense of invulnerability. You know, so my my younger son, uh, and his wife, who just had their second child, had a nice, reasonably sized Honda CRV. And they decided they needed something bigger. You know, they're going to have to have a, they got two kids, both of carriage age now. Right. So they're going to have to have one of those double wide carriages and, you know, all the, you know, and, and all the accessories that go along with it. So they went out and bought themselves. You ready for this? An SUV. Yeah. They bought a Volvo XC90, which I thought was a little overkill. And and I said, what, what'd you get that thing for? You know, there would have been plenty of room in in the, in, a, in another CRV, you know, or or maybe even a, prius v or something like that which mm-hmm. would have given you great mileage and his answer was their answer was it's safer right you know so when 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 the scale tips and more than half the people are driving something that gives them an edge uh then you have to decide to either stick to your principles and buy the little prius which is going to save the planet and and all do all, make you feel good or if you're going to save yourself right and I think when you reach that tipping point is when you have kids. And yeah. You say, oh my God, if somebody hits me and they're driving a 7,000 pound pickup truck, I want to be driving something that can take it. Yeah. You know, all, all those extra airbags and all the warning systems and automatic braking and all those things that lots of these SUVs seem to have. Yeah. And then when you're behind the wheel, you
0: kind of turn into a jerk a little bit, don't you? <laughs> if I if I reach thirty seconds in the car without saying, "Oh look at this jerk," um, that's a long time. And yeah, I yeah, learned you you not do. to do that, Doug. I I, I,
1: I, just, I just I keep it in now. Oh cause, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's there's nothing to be
0: gained. There's from. nothing to be. No, I think that's why I don't. That's why I built my life about around not driving. <laughs> Just keep me, keep me away from, uh, you know. You, you're seeing me face to face. I seem like a nice, a nice fellow. You do seem like a pretty calm guy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Don't you're... put me behind the wheel of a car. Uh, no, no. I mean, I like driving, but it's it, it's this weird arms race that you're talking about. Because okay, so you know, everyone's driving a four thousand pound SUV. I'm going to buy the seven thousand pound SUV, and pretty soon everyone's buying twelve thousand pound yeah. SUVs. Um, and what's allowed this to happen,
1: frankly, is how cheap gas is. Yeah. No, so our our hope was, and we I don't know if we stated this ever publicly, but that gasoline would be seven bucks a gallon, yeah. like it is in in Europe, and the reason it's seven bucks a gallon or thereabouts is there's so much tax on it, and I said, well, what a great idea that would be to just keep in, keep increasing the tax a little bit every year so that people don't even notice it, mm-hmm. so that we gradually get up to that level, and it would force manufacturers to make more efficient cars smaller cars and wean people off this idea of having a six or seven thousand pound vehicle now to be fair gasoline could be 70 dollars a gallon there would be people that would drive sure an suv because their attitude is i can you know and that that's okay but but if we can keep the, their numbers small it makes everybody else safer right and and it's it's hard but the gasoline has been the price of gasoline has been complicit yeah in in you know proliferation of of SUVs and
0: the gas tax hasn't gone up in 20 30 <sighs> years the national gas tax i mean it's
1: no i i, I don't know what, the, what how it's gone up i know in massachusetts it's it's barely budging there was a a big fight to get the gas tax even increased by a penny or two right you know it's come on guys let's fix the roads
0: i think as americans we have this like rugged sense of individualism and and like you said it's like i'm safer but there seems to be no regard for the safety of other people how do is there a way that we can kind of bridge that divide where it's no, you, not just you, about you? you I tell you, it's really
1: impossible. Yeah, uh, to school people in empathy. Either you got it or you ain't got it. Yeah, and and the people that keep escalating or escalating, what uh, the the their the vehicles they drive, the weight of the vehicles they drive, clearly have no concern for anybody except for themselves. Otherwise, you'd be hard pressed to. And again, my son and wife and his wife, were, you know, they recycle. They do. They, yeah, they, yeah. They do everything you're supposed to do to save the planet. When it comes to the safety of their kids, all that's out the window.
0: When people would call into you, there was, there was a lot of like do-it-yourself people who would call in, and, and you know maybe. Oh they, yeah, we
1: try to discourage. Right. Them. Yes.
0: <laughs> but now, instead of people calling into Car Talk and saying, you know, my car is making this sound. Th- th- whatever it is mm-hmm. it, it you're just as likely you'd, you'd be just as likely to have somebody call in and say my car is giving me this error message every time right. that I, so would that change car talk today if people like how would you it would almost be like calling into the apple genius bar at this point like how and you know you, how often they're right now that's right, <laughs> <yes>, right yeah <laughs> tell me about it um, how do you think that would change the show? If it, you know cars are like iPhones on wheels these days, um, what would that change to? We what started you guys... to see that in
1: in the in the latter years of the show. Yeah, where uh, we you know someone would say my check engine light is on, and we'd say, well, I can't tell you what that is. I mean, it could be any one of a hundred different things, and nobody wanted to hear. We'll take the car someplace and have the thing scanned. But generally, we would begin to ask questions about the behavior of the car. Mm-hmm. You know, how long has the light been on? When it is on or since it's been on, what is the carbon doing? And then we'd gradually turn that around to that person's relationship with his spouse. Or, right. You know, this happened when your wife was in the car. And pretty soon, we, if we were lucky, we could get that person talking about her husband and yes. forgetting about <laughs> the check engine light that's on. Yeah. And that seemed to work pretty well. I don't know how much longer... We would have been able to keep that up, but I suspect a while.
0: I would say, you know, human relationships are endlessly fascinating. So the longer you you could have done that forever, probably. Yeah, and it's such an inexact
1: science. I mean, you know, when the check engine light is on, you plug the scan tool in, you get some codes, you test some things, you replace a few parts, and if you're lucky, it fixes it. But not so with human relations, you know, that... When, when you run afoul of your father in law, you're in trouble, man. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? If I could have that little <laughs> plug something in to <laughs> well, me yeah. and my wife can resolve <laughs> some of our differences, That'd that would be great. W- wouldn't that it? would be fantastic. <laughs> Just reboot me and send me back home. There is this kind of generational shift now, right? There are more people living in downtown Boston, there are more people moving to cities who want to live a car free life. What do you think about this stuff? You know, the blue bikes, the bike sharing, New York oh, City. I think all projects.
1: that stuff is fabulous. I, and I love the idea of Zipcar, uh, even though I'm, I'm pissed at the most of the time they're in front of me, I like Lyft and Uber, because they, they, I don't think anyone would have taught them you can pull over when you're going to discharge your passenger. You don't have to stop in the middle of the street, but they-, they
0: Yeah, you don't they, have to stop in the middle of the street when there's a perfectly good bike lane you can park in. Exactly. <laughs> Cut off a bicyclist and yeah. pull over. Exactly. Yeah. They just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm,
1: I'm, I love the bikes all over the place. We have a bunch of them in, in Arlington. We have a bunch yeah. of them in Cambridge, and it's
0: fabulous. Just a couple more questions. I don't want to take too yeah, much yeah, of your okay.
1: time. You've already taken way too much of my time, <laughs> but that's okay.
0: What would it take to make bike talk work? Like, if there was someone was pitching a show today, uh-huh. two, three people who wanted to have a call-in or call in show where people called to talk about bikes, what would it take to work? Or is, Bikes or is, would have to be more
1: complex. I mean, car talking uh, survived because there were so many things that could go wrong with a car. You know, smells, noises, leaks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then all the all the suggestions about how to drive it. I and mean, when you're on your bike, you're autonomous, man. You get nobody in your ear saying, "Doug, slow down, speed up, park here." You know, you're you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So I think that all those conflicts that that made car talk so successful would go away with bike talk. So it's, bike talk would be it be tough. It'd be worth a shot, but I, I I don't see it succeeding. But under the right circumstances, it it might. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what they are.
0: As I went deeper over the last couple of weeks preparing for this i really was struck by just kind of how radical you guys were in support of Mm -hmm. non-automotive modes of transportation like you're saying your brother got around by public transit and and biked and you know like only had a car to get maybe a little farther than he needed to go otherwise where do you think that that attitude came from for you both um you had this love of cars but you also you said empathy can't be uh Taught. No. But you both seem to have this empathy for all kinds of other street users. Where do you think that Well, that's because
1: we're special human beings, you know? (laughs) No, I mean I don't know where it came from, but I probably had enough close calls on my bike that I realized that you have to be a little more aware when you're driving your car and there are cyclists on the road. You know. And my brother had a close call a day when he rode his bike. He was danger on the on the bicycle. (laughs) He gave people the finger all the time. But, but I I think that uh, you know when when you uh, when you when you live in a city where people are riding bikes and, and cars that you gotta make a special effort to be you gotta go that extra mile no pun intended to be aware of bicyclists as we are pedestrians now and it's it's take reeducation takes a long time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I'm sure I'm doing things to accommodate pedestrians and cyclists that my father would never have done. You know, and I would hope that my kids and my grandkids will, will take it a step farther,
0: you know. In their
1: seven thousand pound SUV. But we'll, we'll they, see. Well, but, but empathy. They've probably raised them you, well. But exactly. you can drive a seven thousand pound SUV and still be considerate.
0: Do you have any other any questions for me? I, no, I, I, I got no questions for you at all, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my it. pleasure. A pleasure <laughs> to, to meet in person. And look, I hope you don't get thrown off the air, but this, good, good luck with that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. We can put this out wherever. We, oh, we're not good. reliant on funding or anything like that. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's, NPR isn't going to lose its broadcasting license if I say something stupid. So it's no, All right. As long as
1: I say the stupid things, I got it. I'll, bl- I'll blame you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And that's it for this special edition of The War on Cars. Thanks for listening.